Hello, and welcome to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie, podcast where we talk about all the things that scare the shit out of us and a few things that don't. I'm Becky, and I'm looking at Marie with her sassy pub across the Zoom. Uh, and I'm eating a best made cookie. I'm about to open a little seltzer, so here's my down. Is it alcoholic seltzer? Is there any other kind? Yeah, look at this. I'm drinking a LaCroix. Why? I don't know, because I'm I'm trying to stay focused on what you're saying. Since when? You're just gonna start Googling 22 rifles like you did the other day. <laughs> what are you, what are you, what are you, what are you fearing? <laughs> I'm eating a best made pickle. I ordered a jar, like on a, a rotating schedule now, like every three months, I get a giant jar of movie pickles from Texas. That's cute. So I'm on a I'm on a kick with that. So actually, maybe you'd like to spin the wheel of fear. Lord. All right, wheel up, yeah. <laughs> would you like to hear about my pickle eating fears? Or would you like to hear about how I think my lack of remembering passwords might get me killed? I'd much rather hear about how you're going to get killed. Okay. But, I mean, so, well, you see all these episodes of shows where somebody gets kidnapped. The kidnapper takes them to an ATM and wants them to clear out their bank account. I can never remember my ATM password. What? Yeah. So I like never take money out of the ATM. James is always the one that does it. And so when it comes time for me to do it, I can't ever remember. You don't know your pin? No. So last time I tried to go get money from the ATM, I keyed in my pin too many times and they locked me out. <laughs> so I well, said to James. It's a good public service announcement. Don't kidnap Marie. Because she doesn't know her pin and you won't get money out of her ATM. Well, that's what I'm saying. I was watching multiple shows where people had to pull money out of their ATM from a kidnapper. And can you imagine? I'm in front of the ATM and I'm like... And they don't believe you? Look, dude, I'm being for <laughs> real with you. I do not remember my ATM. And they could like torture me and everything. And it was still... That'd probably make it worse. You'd probably just start giving them random numbers and then I'd lock them out too. <laughs> Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's going to get you killed. Right. Well, because there was even that. That is so funny. I was working on this one project, and this is even like a password I have. And I was working on this one project where you have to key in a password and then you can watch a movie, but it hasn't been released yet. And I just keyed it in wrong too many times. And then I ended up locking everybody in the whole company out of the movie. <laughs> and I said to the account manager, I said, I think I'm locked out of the movie. And she's like, well, yeah, <laughs> you keyed it in too. She was like super mad at me. I was like, I mean, I want to be protected. Don't get me wrong. But there's like five factor authentication. And then mm -hmm. what do you call it? The recapture thing. Yeah. And I don't know if I just overthink it, but I get it wrong a lot. You mean we have to choose yeah. pictures of a bicycle? <laughs> yes. <Yeah>, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I go through like 10 of them. And they think you're a robot. Yeah, yeah, because like, oh my gosh, I don't know. They're saying like, well, which spaces have a motorcycle on it, right? But like, a couple of the squares have the motorcyclist, but maybe like a sliver of the motorcycle. I agree, it's very there. difficult. I just did one that was stoplights, and and I had to pick out six stoplights or something. And I was like, but there might be there's like a post of a stoplight in that one. But there's no light in that one. Exactly, so and they try to trick you too. They'll say. Was there a bicycle in this image and it's a motorcyclist? But if you read really quickly, like you can just skip it as your mm -hmm. answer. Mm -hmm. So my fear is that this is just going to get worse as I get older. Oh, probably. Yeah. And sorry, that's really doomsday there, but seriously. <laughs> <laughs> that and 
And if I were to get kidnapped and they wanted to clear out my bank account, they would never believe me that I don't know this is a pin. I wouldn't have believed you. Right. That's so, Well, this might be the thing that keeps you safe. This is already out there in the world. Don't kidnap Marie for her ATM. Because it's not going to pin. You're not going to get any money from her. No, you're just going to be frustrated robber is what you're going to be. Yeah. I mean, like, this is really funny start to the episode. (laughs) So funny. It feels really funny. It feels really funny. Um, All right. You ready? Yep. You have to ask me what I'm fearing. I know. This is pickles very sour. Well, uh, what are you fearing today, Becky? I fear that we've listened to you eat a pickle for the last 10 minutes. What are you fearing today, Becky? (laughs) I'm fearing suburban Dallas housewives. Hmm. That's a legit fear. I think so. I did grow up in the Dallas suburbs. Yeah. And they are pretty fucking nightmarish. So here I go. I'm going to set the scene and you're going to just try and picture it. Okay. The year is 1980. It was the year of the miracle on ice. Dallas, Texas was in the early stages of a heat wave that June with high temperatures that would eventually exceed 100 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 38 degrees Celsius. A total of 70 times that year by September, including consecutive 42 days of over 100 degrees. Holy moly. The organization Mothers Against Strong Drivers is founded that summer after a 13-year-old girl dies in California by a repeat offender. The U.S. has just announced boycotting the Soviet Summer Olympics. Chrissy Snow leaves Three's company after three seasons. (laughs) The top song in the USA is Funky Town. People are losing their shit because they just found out Darth Vader is Luke's father. Pac-Man is released. CNN is launched. No one knows who shot JR, though that doesn't stop tons of people from going to a Dallas suburb to be disappointed by how tiny South Fork Ranch is. The town of Wiley, Texas had a population of 3,100 people. And a Texas woman named Candy goes to see her friend, Betty, in Wiley to have a little chat. And only one of them makes it out alive. Dun, dun, dun. Before we go too far, my sources are popsugar.com, localprofile.com, the Texas Monthly, which apparently I don't think we're going to be able to record anymore without that magazine. Should we so just subscribe? Box- we need to subscribe. I do subscribe. Everybody should subscribe. I was actually thinking about subscribing. It's only 15 bucks. I mean, do it. Uh, soapboxy.com, in and around mag.com. And one of the articles extensively draws from a book called Evidence of Love. Uh, by John Bloom and Jen Atkinson. So we're talking about Betty and we're talking about Candy. Let's start with Betty. Betty Gore and Alan Gore had been married for about 10 years at this point. Betty was described as pretty with a quote, wide Hollywood smile. Although I couldn't find any photographic evidence of that. (laughs) Well, also I wouldn't call it a Hollywood smile. I have a little bit of this myself. Anyone who had orthodontics in Texas in the 80s and 90s has what I call Texas mouth. What's that? It's just the way they do orthodontics. They shape the teeth to kind of round out a little bit and be big. And a lot of times they put veneers on. I just happen to have big teeth to begin with. Oh. But I can always like newscasters and people, I can go, oh, they're from Texas. Oh, really? Well, I didn't ever notice that. The shape of their, their orthodontics. Well, it's I think just, Jetty grew up in Kansas or something, so. Oh, well, maybe just being in Texas gives you Texas mouth. McKay <laughs> for Texas teeth. Do I have Texas teeth? I don't have veneers. No, but you have Texas mouth. I do? So, yeah, you got, 
you got big choppers that are like pearly and and they the way they shape the perfectness of them come on you got it girl i'm looking at it right now well i don't know what to do with what you just said um so betty was uh popular she um went off to college and she and her college math teacher got married okay al gore his name was alan gore not al gore (laughs) alan gore to other people seemed quote-unquote unremarkable and small and plain okay they lived on dogwood drive in wiley betty was a school teacher they went to church they went to the not united methodist but some methodist church you know i was gonna ask what the denomination was yeah in in and around uh the east suburbs of dallas there were some small towns that were popping up. They had a daughter, Lisa, who was good friends with another child from Sunday school named Jenny. Jenny's parents were Pat and Candy Montgomery. Let's talk about Candy. This is a this is a quote, and we're gonna do a deep dive into this quote describing Candy. Okay. Candy, quote, seemed born to the wandering life, blessed with an easy rapport with strangers and a coquettish exuberance that taught her at an early age what power women could exert over men. They used the word coquettish? They used coquettish exuberance. When, when are we going to get some coquettish exuberance, Marie? I don't know. Do we want coquettish little, exuberance? That sounds a little... Like my skin crawl a little bit. You know, I've, I've experienced this before in my life, and it's really annoying. I think somebody told me I was a slut tease once while I was at Texas Tech. How can you be? Teams. How can you be a slut? You have to be one or the other, right? Right. And the insult was hurled by a guy that liked me that I didn't like, and I never, never gave him the wrong impression. I was very clear that I was not interested in him, but he characterized me as a slut tease. And he and thought I, that was how he's going to win you over. I guess. I always think that's funny when guys think, well. I'm going to trash her and then that's going to be the, I don't get it. But, but my point is just that in these situations, if a woman is friendly, if you're nice to people and you're friendly, but then you don't want to date someone, you're a tease, right? Right. But also because you're being outward and friendly to people, you're also a slut. Oh, she's a slut. Oh, she is a slut. (laughs) (laughs) What are we talking about right now? (laughs) Don't don't give her any credit. Okay. Um, I don't even know what to do with that phrase. I'm just saying men are never described in that light. Like if a guy is going around sleeping with a lot of women, he's like a handsome guy that lots of women liked and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the woman is the coquettish, exuberance. Exuberantial girl. Whatever. Go ahead. She she learned, she was an army brat. So it says she learned at an early age what power women could exert over men. All right. Don't men exert power over women too? Oh my God, yes. Give me a freaking break. Sorry. So Candy had married Pat, an engineer at Texas Instruments when they were both really young. And by the time she was 29, so the story goes, she was bored. On the church volleyball court, on a late summer day, 1978, Candy and Alan both tried to make a play on the same ball and they collided. This is a quote for candy it brought a revelation alan gore smelled sexy this is now, the plain unremarkable guy yeah now 
Candy had been talking to friends about how she was looking around to have an affair. She just didn't know how to do it or who to have it with. She was bored with her sex life. She had two kids at home. She didn't like anything about her husband anymore. She was just ready for some adventure. And wait, she was talking to church friends about having an affair or just? She was talking to, but they definitely reported back that she said this to them. Okay, go ahead. Mm-hmm. So what does Candy do? Starting that day, she decided she would start fucking her friend's husband. Lessons to be learned, guys. Cologne leads to affairs. <laughs> she did not beat around the bush. Very quickly after that day, she went after Alan in a, in a strange little way. The Texas Monthly article, because they've interviewed everybody with this. They put it in quotation marks, even though they weren't there, right? But it's like after a church event, she leans into the passenger door and she's like, I need to talk to you about something. And he's like, okay. And she gets into the car. She does this whole little routine of the coquettishness, I guess. Like, oh, I have these feelings for you and I don't know what to do about it. And so I just wanted to tell you. And then she gets out of the car and runs to her car and drives off. Just like fucks with the guy's head. Well, this plain old Alan, who was a college math teacher before he started working at TI, he was really bored with his wife too. Now, Betty was by all accounts, according to a bunch of different sources here, a very anxious, nervous, frady cat person. She hated being alone. She hated being left alone at night, especially. And he had a job where he traveled and she hated it. She was terrified to be alone in the house without her husband. And so he'd had enough of her and they use the word dour. So I'm gonna use that word of her dour attitude. And here's Candy. She's all sparkly and new and shiny. And so he's all flattered and he spent some time thinking about it. And she comes back around after they cleaned up after a church social or something. And they're walking to the car and he says, I, I thought about it, but you know, I don't think I can do it. I can't hurt my wife. Well, eventually she wears him down and they decide, okay, if we're going to do this, here's how we're going to do it. And so they finally agreed to enter into a detailed long-term negotiation of an affair. They both wanted to avoid their spouses finding out. No one needed to know except the two of them and no one needed to get hurt. They talked in hypotheticals for weeks uh, before initiating, quote, the most meticulously planned love affair in the history of romance. A bunch of dorks. I mean, this is insane what they do. I'm telling you what they do. They dreamed up worst case scenarios about getting caught of someone from their church spotting them sneaking around. They established ground rules, agreeing that either could end it at any time. They would meet on weekdays. Candy would make them lunch every time they would get together so they had more time together. They would split all gas and motel room bills. They literally made a list of rules. They made a pro and a con chart on a white piece of paper that they hung up on the wall and wrote on. I mean, super sexy, right? I mean, it happens when you date a math teacher, I think. I guess, right? A TI engineer. I mean, oh, was he an engineer? He had become a TI, some kind of thing. I don't know. He I mean, these, my first thought is these two are the biggest dorks ever. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you see pictures of them. Uh, hmm. Even for 1980, this is, this is not a good look. So it's like they were doing a prenup for an affair. Oh my God. Remember that candle smells like my prenup? What is that? She has a vagina candle and a... Or or orgasm candle and a I'm thinking that song. I smell sex and candy. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, All right. These two these two plan this affair like they were invading a foreign nation. Like just fucking fuck and get it over with. Well, hold on. Remember, she was fucking bored. He was fucking bored. (laughs) This is just more about like filling the boredom than anything else. 
he picked the most boring guy on earth just because he wore cologne to a volleyball game girlfriend you need to like imagining your standards kiddo planning oh yeah and then we'll do this and then i'll do this and then we'll do this. <laughs> so, next week maybe maybe in three weeks we'll consummate <laughs> so the texas monthly article goes into great detail about the sex lives of these people okay i mean great i'm not gonna because it's even more boring than uh, on the 23rd when we're gonna have sex i can't remember am i bringing chips or beer oh, are you gonna be on top or am i gonna be on top that what am i kidding alan you're always on top um Sorry. i mean great detail and i will just hit some of the highlights of this okay they were both bored with their sex lives with their spouses Candy really thought uh she thought she had this all built up in her head and they talked and talked and talked and talked and talked for weeks and finally she's like we got to start doing this <laughs> so i'm just started talking about it and so they agreed finally they were gonna go and finally fuck after all this and he took long lunches anyway and so he, nobody ever wondered where he was and she was a housewife so hallelujah you know nobody's gonna know i'm gone because both her kids were in daycare or in elementary school or whatever so she found a place in richardson near his workplace now if you've never been to richardson texas on i-75 uh central expressway i-75 in dallas goes right through richardson and so that's where the ti area is there are some of the seedier looking motels you will ever see in your life along i-75 in fact some of them have been there have been sex trafficking uh, rings that have been busted in there, drugs everywhere, prostitution, just everything you can think of. And she found this place. It was like $27 cash. And so she gets a room. She puts on her negligee, sets out the lunch. They have their little cheap red wine from plastic cups. And eventually they start kissing. And this is one of the more remarkable things from this story. Okay, She quickly realized that he had never French kissed before. When she stuck her tongue in his mouth, he didn't know what to do. Now, I'm going to be rethinking the fucking part of this story if the person I'm trying to make out with has never, ever even French kissed before. Is this going to be the excitement that's going to like bring you back around to your 29-year-old coquettish exuberance, Candy? No? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm stunned. Okay. To continue. So they do it. She enjoys it, but it's like, Okay, maybe there's room to grow. I can teach you some things. <laughs> so for the next, I think, seven months, they meet up every other week. And they talk and talk and talk for hours every time they meet up. They talk more than they have sex. They talk about their spouses. They talk about everything to do with their lives. And they start to become really close. Well, she starts to realize, how are they getting any better in this? <laughs> she she's not teaching them anything. We're still where he's just still doing the basics of not what Candy wanted, Marie. Candy had her sight set higher than that, all right? Okay. And so they started having sex at a place called the Como Motel. Mm -hmm. Would you like to see a picture of the exterior of the Como oh, Motel? Yeah. This is a real photo. I oh my gosh, so romantic. There's not very many overnight guests, which I love that about a hotel. And it was $23 cash plus $2 for the room key deposit. And that's where they would meet every other week. So I asked my husband, who used to deliver pizzas in Richardson back in the day. You ever delivered to the Como Motel? He goes, oh yeah, all the guys wanted to go to the Como Motel. You'd always see something wheels off. And I was like, give me examples. He goes, naked people answering the door. Dudes in towels answering doors. And a naked chick is lounging on the bed behind him smoking a cigarette. <laughs> I mean, he's like, you always said yes to the Como Motel. <laughs> I was like, well, this is before his day, but 
I bet you some of the people who delivered pizzas there had some stories to tell about what was going on in 1980 when the Como Motel. And believe me, it still looks like this. Like it still looks exactly like this. It has not changed. And if I can find a royalty-free photo, I'll put it on our website. Otherwise, y'all, Richardson, Texas, Como Motel, do some Googling. I mean, your minds will just fall out of your head. And so this was where they eventually decided that was where they're going to meet every two weeks. And that was their routine. She would make a really fancy lunch. They would drink their cheap red wine from plastic cups, sleep together, talk for two hours. He'd go back to work. She'd go back home. They would always make sure to take showers, though, you know, because they're... I want to interject there. The taking a shower thing, I do think, is an important detail like I always wondered how people get caught from like having sex and not showering afterwards and then this one thing happened to me and I was like okay I get it now so I got this new doctor and it was a husband and wife doctor team and he was doing the initial examination on me and at one point in the examination he was doing the thing where they depress your tongue with the stick and you say ah and when he got his hand close to my face it smelled like no vagina. no it smelled like vagina did you get up and leave he does not wash his hands or use gloves <laughs> i mean i was like hopefully what did you do i co- i was shocked i was shocked oh i don't know if i'm gonna keep that in the episode because people are gonna puke sorry but i'm just saying if people are wondering because like Oh, it's not going to be that your spouse smells someone else's perfume, right? <laughs> I'm going into screensaver mode. Sorry. So can you imagine if it happened to you? Could you imagine if you were with a guy and you like went to give him a kiss after work and any part of him smelled like that? That would be a dead giveaway, right? There would be no explanation for having that scent anywhere on you. See, now I'm really creeped out by that doctor that you went to because he's probably artificially inseminating women or molesting women with his own This was junk. many, many years ago. It was many, oh. many years ago. But I just, I was like, it was like, no, oh. how do people, in particular, how do guys get caught from the, you know, the lipstick on the collar type of thing and all that, or like pair of panties in the car. But I think you're totally busted if you come home and any. Any part of you smells like that. Maybe this is why people are buying the vagina candle from Gwyneth Paltrow. Because there's your excuse for the house smelling like that. Do you feel like we need to buy this candle for our next like girls trip? Just to see what it's... The last fucking thing I would ever spend $78 on or however much it costs. Jesus Christ. If you get that as a birthday gift, will you... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll so, say um, Chardonnay and a vagina candle for your birthday. You're going to celebrate my graduation from Cambridge next month by sending me a graduation gift of a smells like my vagina candle, aren't you? That's how they happen now. <laughs> I mean, and you said it's like $78. Yeah, it might. I might wait a little bit. It might we were just discussing why the showers, and I was suggesting that that might be a dead giveaway. I don't know if there's anything about a guy that would tip another guy off plus guys are kind of clueless about this stuff too i don't know there's this um <laughs> there's this uh <laughs> laundry detergent that a friend of mine becky gave me for my birthday a few years ago and it smells really good and it's really it's like for delicates you know but i y'all like to use it with all the laundry i'll, I'll put like a dash of it in there because i think it smells good and one time curtis came home <laughs> he walks in the door and he goes 
why does this place smell like dudes? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> but he's like, he's like, this place smells like dudes. And I was like, I was like, we don't smell the laundry because I think that's a detergent, and it is, and we like it. But we always make jokes about it now. Like, do you want to use the detergent that smells like dudes? Um, and it smells, it smells really good, but it does smell, it does kind of smell like dudes. That is funny because there's a funny, there's a an infuser that I like a lot. It's um from the PF Candle Company, and it's called Teakwood and Tobacco. It's a very masculine scent. And when I got the infuser, James was like, Bleh. he didn't like it. So I just it smells like dudes. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, this is like the interesting uh, side note. I wonder if a guy that you like, it, say your husband, whatever, had a friend that smelled distinctive and you started smelling like that, if he would notice. But yeah, some people have a strong odor and guys in particular can have a, a musk or whatever. But. Well, I'll tell you. Because this is a friend who doesn't listen to the show, who I'm about to describe. And he figured out his wife was having an affair because her taste in music changed. Isn't that interesting? All of a sudden, she starts singing along with different bands on the radio and like people that she'd never liked before. Because, I mean, you're married. You'd know if she started listening to different music. Where did it come from? Was it on a movie you saw and all of a sudden you started getting their albums? But he was like, where did this come from? And it turned out that, yeah, she was... Interesting. Well, anyway, I think we've made... (laughs) Ending, maidenhead ending back onto the expressway central expressway como motel we're back at the como motel go ahead back at the como motel and curtis said that it always smelled like icky sex and stale cigarettes so never anybody opened the door i mean mm, don't you want to have your affair there there's a great dallas observer article y'all can find i'll, I'll put it on our website fearthispodcast.com where this couple wrote about they went to the seediest motels they could find in Dallas just to spend the night to see what it was like. And they wrote about it. It's really funny. Like some of them are genuinely scary, but some of them is really funny. Yeah, and one of them, I, one of them was the Como Motel. They said it wasn't as terrible as they were hoping, but they said the carpet smelled like, what did they say? Dirty hair or something. Oh, it's just like, oh, I know. Okay. So Randy had a plan where she was going to teach this guy how to make mad, passionate fireworks love with her. And it turns out, <laughs> So after about the third or fourth time at the Como, Candy started to have second thoughts. Now, don't you worry. Those doubts about her relationship with this guy didn't have anything to do with feeling guilt, you know, towards her friend, who, by the way, was a very good friend at the church. They would babysit each other's children. They would, you know what I mean, what suburban moms did with their kids. And so she started to realize sex with Alan wasn't going to get much better than it already was. There's been no improvement. She started to suspect that he wasn't capable of the fireworks, no matter how much she coached him. It's fun to coach a guy, right? Give sex directions. Every girl loves to do that. Um, And the more serious problem is Andy starts to catch feelings, as the kids say today. She even thought at times that she was starting to fall in love with him, and that was too much risk for her. Now, meantime, Alan's wife is pregnant. Betty is pregnant. So he's still having sex with Betty. Yes, he is. And guess who throws her a surprise baby shower? Candy. Candy. So is Candy upset that he's gotten his wife pregnant? Or she didn't really care. That's his other life. No, that was very early on. And I don't think she gave any fucks. I thought she just wanted to fuck the guy. You know, I think she didn't have any like possessive feelings about him. She just wanted some spectacular sex. 
And she chose the most boring guy on the planet because he wore cologne, I guess. She thought that was her big plan. Candy doesn't make very good decisions. No. Okay. Here's where we come to the end of the affair, so to speak. So Alan and Betty had heard about a marriage therapy immersive weekend from friends of theirs who basically said it changes your life. You will never be the same. Your marriage will never be the same. And you've got to do this. So they attended the vaguely threatening founding marriage encounter program. <laughs> marriage encounter. <laughs> marriage encounter. Doesn't that sound like, well, it sounds like a threat. Um, Confront your marriage. <laughs> this encounter, right? And the Texas Monthly goes into such detail about it. If I read all of that part, it would be like a three-hour show. But it's very, very, very detailed. So I'm going to hit some of the highlights of the marriage encounter. All right. Okay. So it's a church-led weekend program to help people struggling in their marriages with meals and pep talks and instructions on how to describe in loving detail, also known as D-I-L-D or DILD, okay, your feelings. You are told you need to share your uniqueness and open up the gift of dialogue. Mm. Are you asleep yet? Because all of this is making me itch. (laughs) If you were to say to me, I think we should start every show with three, let's DILD today. Why don't you describe in loving detail something about you? Instead of what do you fear? Let's start with DILD. Let's open the show with DILD. I had a friend invite me to this ladies group where the way she described it was we sit around and we have a talking stick. And when you get past the talking stick, you express how you're feeling to the group. Uh-huh. Like, that is not for me. It has to be feelings. Yeah. I'm like, it's not Can for it me. Can it be, I'm, I'm feeling annoyed with every one of you at this table. I was like, hit me up if you want to start a female fight club, but <laughs> the talking stick thing ain't for me. <laughs> My friends and I at Cambridge, when we would, we would all go out to the, the, the Granta on the river to have drinks. Everyone was always talking at once. So we started this, uh, you had to hold the, the talking ketchup bottle in, oh, okay. in order to be the one who was allowed to speak. And then if you held up the mayonnaise bottle, that meant you were next. So you had the talking ketchup and then on deck mayo. And I'm like, it worked because right, got a bunch fine. of people who don't know how to shut up, you know? <laughs> so. Right, that's fine. But like, I mean, not obviously if people are having marital problems, it's not a bad idea to to be in a situation where you talk about your feelings, but. No, but this, the description of this sounds really unappealing to me. It really does. Um, and I am, a, I don't want to brag. Not only do I know about insurance, but my first master's is in communication and I taught interpersonal. So I kind of know a little bit about relationship marital, marital, marital. I just said marital. Yeah, you really seem knowledgeable uh, right now. On <laughs> 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 marital stuff. Was it, was uh, your communication in marital communication? <laughs> your, your minor was in marital communication? It should be marital. It's like the word governor and then gubernatorial. They're not connected. It's weird. Okay. I'm here all week. Okay. Tell us about how knowledgeable you are again. Go ahead. Um, so they're going to build, they're going to share their uniqueness, open up the gift of dialogue, and the questions are getting more personal and very incisive. And it started to, quote, take on all the appearances of a love-in. Okay. So what they did here was they had everybody using different acronyms for how to talk about this part of your marriage and how to talk about your sex life and write letters to each other. 
And then they were requiring the people at the marriage encounter to be very affectionate in public with each other. So this took place at a hotel and they described it as like a medieval looking hotel. I don't know. I, I didn't look it up. This one, I didn't look up. The Como I looked up. And so you're at this hotel for the weekend. And so you're sharing meals with everybody. And so before every meal, you, you had to like kiss your spouse and you had to hold hands. And it was just like, I don't know. I don't know. But it worked for good old Alan, though, Marie. It worked. So on their way home from the weekend, the Gores stopped by Candy's house to pick up Elisa because that's where she had stayed while they were gone. Think about how convoluted this is. Terrible. The girl, the 29-year-old girl says, yes, I will take care of your kid while you go to take care of your marriage to the dude she's sleeping with. I mean, we talked about a lot of times these affairs and in particular church affairs, we could probably just do a whole episode on that. It's the we could do one on bad preachers because there's a lot of that okay. shit. Yeah, mm-hmm. there were some when I was growing up, but basically it's not uncommon for couples that are friends at church to end up the the spouses having affairs with each other. And it's usually like a best friend situation or a close friend situation. But it just shows that people are lazy. You know, they just go for opportunity that's right in front of them. Because that's what this is. It's three. Okay, let's go with lazy for a second. I'm going to psychoanalyze people who have affairs like this. This was not Andy going out to sit at the bar at a nice hotel in downtown Dallas and getting picked up and having anonymous sex with some dude at a bar, which would have been bad enough, right? No, this was lazy in that, from what you just said, you pick what's closer to you. It's also lazy because you seem to have feelings that you want to fuck your best friend's husband. Do the work and make yourself get over it. You got to get yourself away from him. Get away from him. Because, I mean, it's a level of selfish that I can't even fathom, but it's like, do the work, people. You know, I get that people are good looking or they smell good or you look around and you go, oh, hey, hey. But then you look away. You go the other direction. You figure out another way to, to, to deal with it. And I don't feel sorry for her for being a trapped in a, I know it's 1980 and life sucks for women. I don't know, whatever. But you do the work and not do this to forget you're, you're screwing over your husband, your friend. Well, but that's what I'm trying to say, which is most affairs don't have to do with sex. They have to do with some sort of emotional connection or something that someone is missing in themselves or their relationship. And so what happens is, you skip the step of making an emotional connection with somebody, right? Because you've already got a relationship with your best friend's husband. You've already got a relationship with the preacher at your church. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's skipping the step of actually having to do the work of getting to know someone. So that's why I say it's lazy. And, you know, a lot of times these relationships start out with one of the people making the other person feel important or special. Yeah. Well, sure. And that was one of the things about how Candy made Alan feel. Yeah. Where he had never felt special like that before. He had never felt that way. Right. You know, and especially from somebody who was coquettishly exuberant, who chose him. Of all the dudes she could have chosen, she chose him. And there's that, that buzz, you know, that hum of life starting to seem brighter, which I get. Don't do it. Do something else. Work through it. Figure it out. Um, so when they went to go pick up Elisa, Candy's handing Elisa over to Alan. And she says, how did it go? And he says, it went very well. That's all she got. 
So this time there's this back and forth of don't want to end it. Don't want to end it. Don't, don't know what I'm going to do without you. Um, and she was really starting to, to fight against ending the relationship. But then he did the marriage encounter and then he ended it. So fast forward to Friday the 13th of 1980. Alan has started a new job that his wife didn't really want him to start because it required even more travel. So she was at home. She was unhappy. Now she has two kids. And she's trying to take care of the new baby, Bethany. And he was out of town on business. And he was feeling anxious in part because Betty had been begging him to stay home more because she hated being alone, even for one night. Now, in a way, I get that, I guess. Some people are just scared of the dark. But in a way, I'm like, God, I love it when I'm finally able to be alone. <laughs> right? Like, right? It's just like you get to watch what you want on the TV. You get to eat whatever dinner you want to eat. It's like all the Lifetime movies I watched when Curtis is gone. It's embarrassing. It's good to have some alone time, yeah. It really is. Now, the marriage encounter had been life-changing for both of them. They'd even started planning a trip to Europe, just the two of them, no kids. So, I mean, they were really rocking and rolling towards getting things back on track. And Alan um, had some good tips now from his affair with Candy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Betty's going to be like, where'd you learn that? No, because he didn't learn anything from Candy, even though she tried. Okay, continue. Why do women accept such low expectations in their partners? You know, it's like, you're not satisfied by this person, but now you're in love with them. I don't know. It's weird. It is. The whole thing is really weird. And I mean, it was how long ago? 40 years ago, something. It's really different, you know? And I know that you were doing a story about the Lake Waco murders and there's a woman who was a cop in 82 but that's even that stuff was pretty unusual then you know and like things were just different then you know and I don't know if people still do just set their expectations really low back then I don't know that there were a ton of options um compared to today you know I don't know but suburbs of Dallas suck that's the moral of the story sorry at all those of you who live there and I'm really sorry those of you who live there um they were planning a trip to Europe uh, that was scheduled for just a week later and so alan was out of town and he couldn't reach betty by phone which was very unusual um she hated leaving her house at night she did not want to leave her home so he knew that she was always going to be at home and so he grew worried and started calling some neighbors can you go look and see is the car there are there any lights on can you knock on the door right um and five different times he did this he asked a neighbor he called candy to say, have you heard from Betty and do you know where she is? And she says, well, no, but I could go over and check on her if you want. And he said, no, it's okay. So he calls another neighbor who calls another neighbor and three dudes in the neighborhood go over to this house. So two of the guys go around back and one of them goes into the front. But once he starts trying keys, he realizes the door is not even locked and he has this terrible feeling in his stomach. And he didn't want to go inside. Because all of the men from the neighborhood said they all felt something was wrong inside that house and they weren't sure they wanted to see it. So they head in and discover, and this is a quote, a horrifying and almost unimaginable sight. First, they see the Gore's baby girl, Bethany. She's crying and filthy after hours of being alone. Her mother, Betty's body, was in the laundry room at the center of one of the, quote, most grim and grisly crime scenes in North Texas history. Betty had been attacked with an axe, an estimated 41 times. 
28 of those blows were to her head. Oh my gosh. A three-foot axe. We're not talking a hatchet. We're talking a three-foot axe. I myself have never swung an axe. I have. Yes. A three-foot axe? Yeah, so when I cleaned out my grandparents' farm, they had a fetish for purchasing axes. So I found about 50 axes. Who has a... Why would... What? Yeah, just in their shed, they had all these axes. Pickaxes, long axes. I mean, every axe you can imagine. And were they cutting trees down a lot? They were just hoarders. They went. They probably just went to garage sales and just bought. Them. Oh, that's okay. But yeah, so yeah. me and the cleanup crew, at one point when we were taking a break, we were putting out logs and swinging different axes. It's kind of fun. Ooh, that sounds fun. But then they made us stop when I hit a log weird and it popped up and hit me in the face. And they were like, we can't let you die because you haven't paid us yet. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen those axe throwing things that people do indoors? Yeah. Have you seen the video of the girl who almost gets hit because it swings behind her? Like, huh. Don't stand behind somebody who's throwing an axe. I mean, the axe throwing thing is pretty dangerous. They do have that at Scarborough Fair, which I know is one of your fears as well. <laughs> it's one of my big fears. Yeah. You might as well take me to medieval times and leave me there. Yeah. I mean, um, even incidents at shooting ranges too. Like, if you're going to do that sort of thing, I think that like drinking and partying is not, you got to treat it like a sport, right? If you're going to do archery, you don't get all sauced up and, and go shoot bow and arrow. So that's my whole thing with the axe throwing places is it's supposed to be like bowling. And you're drinking and you're drinking and you're just throwing axe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. Totally. All right. Continue. Okay. So here's one of the most tragic parts of this. Now, remember, Alan did have this affair. Yes. But he knew he would never leave his wife. He, in fact, had stuck with Betty through an affair that she had had a few years earlier. Oh, Betty had an affair, too. Earlier in their marriage. Oh, before him. Okay, well, I'm not feeling as mad at Alan now. Do yeah. You know yeah, and in fact, he told Candy that when Betty had her affair, it hurt him so much that he didn't want to do the same thing to her, but he did not want to divorce Betty. He was never going to leave Betty. Things are starting to make a little more sense now. Alan actually sounds like he's probably a decent guy who kind of, I think I get things a little bit more now. But go okay. on. All right. And he, again had wanted earlier to take Betty to that marriage encounter and do their dizzed, what was it called? The, di- the, the, um, the dilt. The dild. Describe in loving detail. He wanted to do the dild before and Betty didn't want to do it. And the weird thing about this, this is how much communication was going on between these married people is she said, why do you think we have trouble in our marriage? And he couldn't bring himself to tell her yes. So she wouldn't go at first. But then later on, it was her idea to go. Right. So keep in mind where we are now. He's out of town. He knows something's terribly wrong. His friends are going over to look at the house. He's back really trying to make the marriage work. And he's really falling back in love with Betty. There's a little girl at home. And then there's the other little girl, Lisa. Well, he had waited long enough. He thought that his friends would be in the house. So he called the house. They had found Betty by the time he called the house. And one of them answered the phone and had to break the news to him. Wow. So sad. And his immediate thought is, where are my kids? I said, we've got the baby. One guy had taken her back to his house to start taking care of the baby. And Elisa wasn't there. Elisa was with Candy. Candy had been babysitting Elisa, and she had taken the kids to a movie that night. So Alan's very first call once he found out, Candy. It was 1130 at night in Dallas, Texas. And Candy 
was having sex with her husband on the phone rang and she answered it. That's weird. Yeah. So there is a crime scene investigator named Steve Deffenbaugh. And the perspective of, of this guy, Steve, when he goes, he gets the call in the middle of the night to go to this house in Wiley. Now, keep in mind, this is 1980, a tiny little town. I mean, East Dallas, those places are now growing up. But back in the day, they were country. And so he gets this call and it's like the worst thing anyone's ever seen or heard of. There's an axe wielding maniac out there, right? So he goes to the house and the article does a great job of walking you through what he did at the crime scene. And those of you who are crime scene investigators out there, we'd love to hear from you. But I'm going to give you a piece of advice. Do what this guy does. Now we do it with video, but also still photographs are important too. He photographs his way into a crime scene and out of a crime scene. So everything he passed, he has photos of. Like he gets out of the car, he takes a picture of the mailbox, takes a picture of what's in the mailbox. I mean, every last step along the way before he even gets into the house. But unfortunately, so many investigators or neighbors or whoever had already been through everything that there was a lot of stuff that was destroyed. Also in part, because this was Wiley, Texas in 1980, nobody had experienced this before. They didn't know how to handle a crime scene. You know, you see CSI and they've got the little, put down a number, take a picture, measuring, you know, rulers everywhere for perspective. They didn't have any of that. So they had rolled up rugs and all these things like the axe that they've figured out. Trying to be helpful too. You know, sometimes people clean things up to be helpful. Yes. And the axe was leaning up against the wall and someone had gotten a kitchen baggie and just covered up half of it. And they thought that was preserving evidence. And it was just like, shit show so he sees a small amount of blood on the front porch there's a blood streak on the entryway floor blood on an interior door frame and in the bathroom there was ample evidence that the person who had killed betty had showered but left some obvious clues a bath mat in front of the tub had heavily blood-stained footprints in front of the sink critical evidence had been destroyed because one of the people from the police force had rolled up that mat and ruined the footprints. Now I'm going to describe the bathroom and it's going to sound so 80s. If any of you were around then and you have conscious memory of then, you're going to believe this. In the bathtub, there was blood on the gold tile walls, on the gold bath mat and around the drain. You can picture it, right? You think it was brass or gold like fixtures and everything? Was there peach sure. tile? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that the toilet was like salmon color, <laughs> you know? <laughs> My mom was in love with salmon colored stuff. And at one point she had our kitchen remodeled. Everything was like cream and salmon. And there were like sand dollars and starfish and, and like some- In Waco? Of, yeah. And, and she was- she Not was a beach town. No, she's asking us what we thought. And I said, it looks like a bathroom at a beach motel in Padre Island. I'm like, what the heck? Was this the year that Rosemary did the Christmas tree in salmon and white? Was oh, everything yes. salmon and white? Yes. That is salmon and white. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds so awful. Sorry, Rosemary. Oh, I should oh. I'll just shoot you a photo right now of the dress that she bought me for my eighth grade graduation. Do it, it. Um, it's also salmon with Cinderella sleeves. Aww. All right, you're going to love this. Because I know you wanted a picture of me. This will be uh, mullet, too. You're you're happy to post this on the website if you'd like. Really? Yeah. All right, continuing. All right. So we're in the bathroom, the gold and salmon bathroom, right? With the gold fixtures everywhere. All right, I just texted you this me and the salmon dress, if you want to. Okay. There's some 80s decor in the photo as well. 
like those hanging lamps with the chain. The oh, nice. So back then, y'all in the early '80s, there was a very specific time in home decor where it started in the '70s, obviously. But couches were like an orange floral pattern, and there was green shag carpet, and refrigerators were were lime green as well. Mm-hmm. All right, the drain in this bathtub held human hair that they figured out was also mixed with dog hair from the Gore's two dogs. Now, the living room is described as dark paneled. If you've never been in a dark paneled living room, that is a sight to behold. It's like it sucks up all the light and all the life force out of anybody who enters that room. So the toys were scattered around. There was folded laundry on a chair. There was a sewing machine where fabric was left mid-stitch. There was a red business card for Candy's side business, which I don't know what that was. Fuckingyourfriendshusband.com. I don't know. Betty's coffee cup was near the sewing machine. The Dallas Morning News was dated June 13th. And there was, and this hurts my heart, there was a guidebook for Europe, dog-eared and bookmarked. Oh. I know. When you go into the utility room, it's obvious that this woman has undergone something that is unimaginable. The people who walked in on it, you're never going to get over that. I mean, you, you don't hit somebody with a three-foot-long axe 30 times without leaving a mark. Yeah, and also, I mean, I don't know where this is going because I, I don't know who committed the murder, but if it's Candy or if it's a dude, because if it's a dude, the blows are going to be worse because the guy is stronger. But then if it's Candy, she's not going to be as strong, so the blows are going to be more sloppy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, she's going to drop the axe rather than swing it because there's a lot of strength required, I would imagine, in the three swinging a three foot long axe. And if you don't have the strength, it's just like with lifting weights. If you lift more weight than what you can handle, then you don't keep your form and you're sloppy. So, right. It's just going to be random mayhem. Right. So, apparently, there was so much blood that when the people who first peeked into the utility room, saw her they saw her arm first it was floating in like an ocean of blood it looked like it was floating above the ground that someone's blood was underneath her arm these are some of the photos that they go through that this guy had as his evidence and some of it is quoted from the trial later on so he had photos of the linoleum floor in the utility room there were three dots in the photo where the blood is and those same dots with the tape measure in another photo this was they thought somebody wearing a pair of thongs which back in the day, that's how we said flip-flops. Yeah, thong. so thongs are something else now. The word thong, because it goes between your toes and now it goes between your ass cheeks, that the, back in the day, they figured that those dots were from somebody who was wearing flip-flops. And then the tape measure tells you exactly what size they were. It was a small foot. Now, I'm going to self-disclose here. I'm going to just maiden head off this expressway just for 90 seconds at the most. I could never kill somebody with an axe wearing flip-flops because my shoe size, they would probably think it was a man. (laughs) That would mortify me more than going to fucking prison for an axe murder, just so you know. So when I lose my mind and start fucking, I don't know, whoever's husband, and then I go over and axe murder her, the police are going to say, oh, we're sure it's a giant man because of the shoe size. Okay, that's all. And also, I have like a whole thing with not doing dangerous things with flip-flops and that includes like going out of the house and walking around with my husband because he is constantly stepping on my feet and 
Yes. He walks behind you and steps on your heels or what? No, it's just like we're doing something and he'll like open a door into my toe or he'll like (laughs) pivot pivot to get out of the way of something and stomp on my toe. Like one of my toes has got like a wave ripple in it, the toenail, because of all the times that he's hurt my toe. So like when we- Now you have to wear like steel-toed boots everywhere? Like I would not wield an axe with my toes exposed, period. Ooh, that's good advice. If you're slipping around in the blood too, but I thought of this, like we were going to go to this hot wings place in Hollywood and Hollywood is, I've told you, is like out of control now with like weirdos and homeless people. And I always wear tennis shoes in case we have to run, you know, because I don't know. Really? Yeah. Back in the day, you were always wearing those adventure girl shoes, Tevas or what were you wearing? What would you wear? Uh, Yeah, I would wear Tevas and I would also wear Birkenstocks. I'm a sandals girl for sure, but but you can't be around your husband. And no, now that I'm married, I have to cover my toes. <laughs> this is like the one feminine thing I like to paint my toes. I like to have really nice toes. But yes, you're very proud of your feet, which I find adorable. Yes, I have great feet. They're very symmetrical. I'm very proud for you. Can you stop <laughs> bragging about your feet? Sorry, but I just self-disclosed that I don't like mine and that I would never commit murder and step in blood because of it. And you're just talking about your gorgeous feet. I know. I'm sorry. Look, I'm just saying as someone that cares about my feet, I would not commit an axe murder in thongs. I think that's the name of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I always end up saying something. (laughs) So I close up photo taken by Steve over here, the crime scene investigator. Shows Betty was missing her right eye. Now, I don't know what kind of axe-wielding shit you have to do to hit somebody in the head to where their eye pops out or is missing. I don't fucking know. I can't even fathom what's happened here. But he said that it appeared to have been purposefully chopped out. Her eye? Isn't that something? Isn't that something? And he said it's more common among same-sex couple murders for an eye to be part of how they mutilate the body. Isn't that a fun fact you could take to a dinner party? (laughs) You know what? Can you pass the salad tongs? Um, oh, yeah, some ranch dressing, please. And, you know, who's more likely to cut out an eye? Okay, okay. So they were going to talk to all the friends of Betty, right? And so, of course, that included Candy. And so she was brought in for questioning two days after the murder. So our friend Steve sat in on the interviews, even though the investigation was led by Dallas County detectives, keep in mind, Wiley's not going to have people to handle this shit. You know, they got to bring in the big city people. And so he was taking pictures and he took a bunch of pictures of Candy, took pictures of everyone who came in. And in the process, he noticed that three of her fingernails were shorter than the others. And they had found broken fingernails in the house as a part of this whole ordeal. So Candy gets arrested. She makes bail almost immediately. Her family has hired an attorney. Attorney is a piece of work. And there is a lot of detail yeah, we need to do another episode on this. So I'm going to wrap this up. Um, here's where we're going to stop. So Candy was arrested for her friend Betty's murder because hair from the drain, they were able to match in 1980 as much as they were able to match things to Candy. But because there's so much detail about what happened at the crime scene, Candy actually ends up admitting that she did it. That's the thing. She ends up telling a detailed story about exactly what happened that day according to her. But keep in mind, only one person made it out alive, right? And there's only one person's story to tell. The other person 
at 41 axe chops and ended up dying with their baby in the next room. So um, you've been listening now for this one. <laughs> <laughs> Great wrap up. Great. <laughs> so we've been enjoying we're doing a four-part series called <laughs> totally murder in the 80s <laughs> uh and we actually called this are we capable of doing an episode without texas monthly i don't think so right. well, we got texas monthly a bit or they should sponsor us we're telling people yeah, to subscribe texas, to them subscribe to texas monthly our main source for everything <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah we're sticking with our apparently for for about five or six weeks we're going to be doing nothing but 1980s texas monthly based murder yeah. and this, this was another one of them so the takeaway here is don't wear cologne it leads to affairs don't wear thongs to a murder scene yeah. is that it uh, I think there's more to learn, so join us next week <laughs> on So I Had an Affair with an Axe Murderer. <laughs> <laughs>